0: Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled, Self-Development for Men, originally produced and published by Matt Davis of the Steelyard Academy Podcast. We're excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we wanted to highlight a review recently left on Dr. Fife's Apple Podcast platform. Natal Cake says, buckle your seatbelt. JFF's podcast interviews give you a taste of how diving deeper into the roots of your relationship struggles will help you gain greater confidence and skill. She offers perspective changes in empathetic ways and often shares personal examples which are so helpful. The courses JFF offers on her website and in person will take you to the next level. They feel like intensive therapy and college classes mixed together. I came out so much more clear about how I was contributing and what I could do to impact my relationship positively. It starts out so hard to see your weaknesses, but in the end, it's so empowering. You can't change what you can't see. Now I listen to her podcast to keep her voice in my head and remind me of the principles that are important because everyone is happier that way. Thank you, Needle Cakes, for your review. We are grateful to everyone who leaves a review on Dr. Finlayson Fife's podcast. It helps boost our visibility and helps others find this helpful information on how they can strengthen their relationships to themselves and to others. If you'd like to leave a review on Dr. Finlayson Fife's podcast, you can do so on any of the platforms on which you listen. Thank you for all of your support and your positive feedback. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So, this is a podcast all about forging success, and the focus for having her on today was to ask her, ask her some very uh, detailed questions about uh, really men for, for the most part. How men can be better, how we can be better husbands, how we can be better fathers, how we can be better in the workplace, how we can improve ourselves and be able to focus on the right things in our lives. So this is not just exclusively for men today, but there is a focus on that because I really felt like Dr. Finlayson Fife would have a lot to offer from this perspective that may be a little bit different than what she normally talks about. And so I appreciate her uh, coming and talking with that, talking that through with us. And, uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. If you have any comments or questions, please contact us at steelyardacademy.com and enjoy your day. With the Steelyard Academy podcast, this is, uh, you know, I think maybe a little bit different than what she, uh, normally talks about. we can ask her about that, but we're very grateful for her time today. Uh, hello, Dr. Finlayson Fife.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> so, uh, she and I have been going back and forth and a little bit different style, uh, interview today. In that uh, we have some pretty exact questions that we are going to go over, um, and I hopefully this will be very impactful for you out there, so that you can get a, a very good map from Dr. Finlayson Fife. And uh, you know, we were just talking a, a minute ago, and um, you heard in her bio about just how she's been able to to view the world from a different perspective, and not just in you know what we would call the the west coast cor- corridor or the pioneer corridor for those that are members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and so appreciate her view and uh, well why don't we just go ahead and get started and, and i'll tell you why i reached out to her um the first thing is i'll just thank uh, monica packer from about progress for getting us in touch with one another uh, monica packer is doing an amazing thing herself along with uh, dr finlayson fife But the reason I reached out is because I think that as men, we don't often reach out as much as we should and get help we need and ask uh, tough questions, maybe about some emotional things or about how we feel, about where we're going. And Dr. Finlayson Fife is an expert in uh, talking all genres. And so what I wanted to get her on for was to talk a little bit about one thing that I've suffered with, and that's anxiety and depression. And I'd noticed that oftentimes it's the expectations that are set by others or even myself that can create a captivity in my life. I can kind of feel powerless in a sense and I feel like those captive feelings cause my mental state to struggle or spiral. So I'll ask Dr. five: what would you suggest I do or others do in order to manage expectations up against anxiety or other things? Mm-hmm.
2: So it's a really great question, and it's kind of a big question, so you can tell me when you've heard enough. But, but I, I think that um, first what I would say is that human beings, our psychological development necessarily requires an external focus to determine or to make sense of who we are. So, you know, our physical autonomy outpaces our psychological autonomy. So as children, we don't have a choice except to look to our parents and teachers and peers to give us an idea about who we are and who we are supposed to be. And so that's necessary for us to do that, to start to forge a self in the world, to make meaning of what it is to be human and what skills you need to learn and what competencies you need to achieve the problem is that for many of us if not most of us we stay stuck in a framing of life that keeps us referencing what other people want from us or the ideals that other people have rather than moving into more of a self-reference a deeper uh sense of who we are as individuals who we choose to become what we want to create in our lives what we value what we believe is right what we believe is true of course you can't do that without having borrowed other people's perspectives frames expectations without having learned skills and adapted um into ways that are functional in your society but but if you don't ask the question of what do I want and what do I desire, you feel ultimately like you're living everybody else's life. You're on a kind of treadmill of a pursuit of, uh, you know, fulfilling what you think your people think you should be. And you recognize I'm not defining my own life. I am basically controlled and because psychologically you are, if you are in that external locus of control, which I can talk about in a second.
1: Nah, we, we love locus of control on Steelyard yeah, Academy. Yeah, so please. Yeah, still. okay, good. Okay, <laughs> good.
2: So you're, you're, the fact that you are using what other people want from you or for you to define your life is that external locus of control. And I don't actually think it's fair to make it external. What I mean is what that's often what I'm challenging in people is that they are buying in and they are, are doing this. But when they're trying to keep people happy with them, they will feel controlled. They will therefore be much more likely to feel trapped, depressed and anxious depression and anxiety. As I'm sure, you know, from what you just said has a lot to do with this locus of control issue. People who keep defining themselves from an, you know, external validation reference point will feel low sense of efficacy or control and will be more prone to depression, anxiety, perfectionism, trying to achieve something outside of themselves, but always feeling the resentment and the desperation that it's never going to be enough. There's always someone who could expect more, Which, you know, self-definition then gives you the ability to reference your integrity and your desires and the question of who you want to be in the world? Uh, and so the locus of control issue is solved as well as the control, uh, the feeling of being controlled.
1: So uh, I, I just loved what you, there's so many things to go over in there like borrowed framework, uh, forging mm-hmm. yourself, external focuses, which I, I kind of take as like a measuring stick to where you're mm-hmm. comparing. Uh, do a quick plug for for those that want kind of a 101 version of inner locus of control there's a book called Smarter Faster Better by Charles Duhigg and mm-hmm. there's a great story in it where the the military of today at boot camp is so much different than it mm-hmm. was years ago they they do a completely different inner locus of control focused boot camp where mm-hmm. these kids uh <clears throat> one example is they have to clean the mess hall mm-hmm. and they give them no direction They just say, Hey, we, we want you to clean this. And then they do, they usually do a pretty terrible job, Mm
0: -hmm. but, but
1: there's a place where no other place on the planet could you put a a mustard, ketchup, salt and pepper, like it has to go in the place Mm -hmm. that it goes. And so they'll, Mm -hmm. the kids will put it there. And then the the instructors will be like, that's amazing. You put this in the exact right spot and Mm -hmm. you know, they'll really work on the inner locus of control. And so it, there's a lot to go over from what you said. And Mm -hmm. I want to talk about borrowed framework, but then on the interlocus of control, it's interesting that a lot of businesses, organizations are switching to where they're really focusing on that more than ever before. And is that because we've changed as a culture or a people, or is that because we're, we're learning more on, on the human condition and how to be better?
2: Probably some of both. I, I mean, I think we're a less authoritarian society than we were a generation ago, and especially two generations ago, which has its downsides and upsides, you know, but, you know, you used to call all adults Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, right. uh, you know, now the kids call their teachers by their first names. And so it's just, you know, it's just a very different um, notion of what it is to be a person within society now than it was, you know, a few decades ago. But I also think this inner locus of control is such a big deal. I mean, it's, I look back on my own childhood and I think my parents almost unwittingly offered us that because there were too many children to be controlling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, there was very much a sense that your life was sort of yours to create. And so, you know, because they didn't hover, I think parents today, paradoxically, even though we're not as authoritarian, hover much more over their children where when you had many kids and there wasn't 400 activities to enroll them in and so on, there was more room for kids to belong to their own minds and their own thoughts. Um, Where I think now, even though we may, we may be having more of a cultural problem and that might be partly why different uh, entities are focusing on this internal locus of control because parents are much more enmeshed in their children's lives uh, in the society we've created today
1: so this being a podcast about balance, what would, what would your suggestion be for how to balance kind of the, hey, we're, we're going to, you know, you're going to sign up for this, you're going to do this, you're going to accomplish this, and hey, let's see what you can find. Where's the balance there? Let's-
2: I think the balance is that parents um, need to have expectations that benefit the children, not the parents. So being thoughtful about what that is for your specific child, what are the expectations that are going to help that child rise up to become more a, a more capable person, sort of more able to um, assert a self in the world? So you have some set of expectations, but micromanaging how they do them, how they achieve it. You know, it's a, you know, the way i might talk to my teenager is something like look here's the expectation you know you have to turn in homework every single night uh but how you work that out relative to your desire to play video games or back before sheltering, go out with friends uh you know but here's the expectation Mm -hmm. and if you don't meet the expectation then we'll think about how much freedom you have to make that decision but you're giving your kids a lot of rope not so much that they hang themselves with it, but you give them a lot of rope to sort out who am I relative to this question. And my parents aren't going to let me drown. Do you, They're not going to abandon me.
1: Okay. So do you let them fail? I mean, do you let them?
2: Uh, yeah. It's hard for me, but yes, okay. that's how I'd be becoming a better parent. <laughs> <laughs> let me know. how really. to,
1: I don't know if I'll be able to do that. Yeah. That's a I, yeah, yeah that's, because that's a it can
2: one. challenge your own sense of self and it can challenge, you know, because I think as parents, we've really often given this idea that we're responsible for our kids being successful. And if they don't, if they aren't successful in particular ways, they're not going to have a chance in the world. And so there's a lot of anxiety often that are being given to kids today that are very different than when I was growing up. You know, I failed all the time. And I, my parents just were too busy. I don't know that nobody was, (laughs) it wasn't hitting their sense of self. But that's where I learned how to, figure out who I was, who I wanted to be, how to get stronger, it 100% belonged to me. And so that's a very helpful thing. And it facilitates hard work, because it's, it's creating the reality you want in your life, rather than trying to keep people thinking you're sufficient.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, there's a lot of data on being vulnerable, right, where that's mm. shows that you can be very, a lot happier and more really more resilient and successful. I mean, would you agree with that?
2: Uh, yes. I mean, I think what that, what a, the way I would, I like to talk about that is not so much in the frame of vulnerability, but that the people that are willing to tolerate that they are human and, fail. and let other people and let other people know they're human, they're going to have higher tolerance for failure and mistakes and deciding and choosing again, meaning the perfectionists are much more, Fragile. They're actually more mm-hmm. vulnerable in, in the true sense of the word because they can't handle the rigors of just sort of learning something or, or stepping into frames that where you feel incompetent. And that's necessary for expanding your sense of self and expanding your capacities. But if that's linked to your value, you're going to obscure, you're, you're going to not limit what you try, but you'll also limit what you let people see. And so that's a much more fragile way to live. So yeah, it's, it's about, you know, it takes some courage to tolerate our humanity and to not mask it from ourselves and others, but that's where all the joy is paradoxically.
1: We, uh, we did, uh, an event, Tim Worthington and I, that, uh, one of the partners at Stillyard, we did this event with uh, becoming your best Steve Schallenberger. Uh, and he had this video of himself in Africa at this school with kids. And, he was dancing like the biggest idiot you've ever seen. Yeah. You know, like, and this guy is yeah. like so successful. Businesses, yeah. doing this amazing, becoming your best, exactly. great, like bestseller. And I was like, dang it, I want to be like that guy. Because those, yeah, kid, those exactly. kids loved him. They loved him. You exactly. could see it. hundred percent. And he was having the best time. So I, I love that. Uh, well,
2: and the, that's... That's a great story. I mean, I think first of all, the paradox is that people that are most successful are the most tolerant of making mistakes. I mean, that that they're able to just go out and try things and take risks and, you know, and have that not challenge in a fundamental way, their sense of self. But the other thing is a person who can embrace their humanity and their fallibility and their awkwardness and all of that unapologetically is a real gift to everyone else because it gives everyone else permission to belong to their fallibility, their humanity. They don't have to apologize for themselves when they're with you because you're not apologizing for yourself. And so, you know, I think it's just, it's, that's why those kids loved him is he's just unapologetically there enjoying himself with them as, you know, just as uninhibited as they are. And that's a real gift.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of the Mr. Rogers thing, right? Where he, I mean, he would he would try and unlock the kids to know that he's on the level, right? Like to be, Yes. and exactly. then, and then it would, oh, that's so, I love this conversation and where it's gone. Uh, another book, uh, the culture code about, um, you know, just kind of being vulnerable. It goes over the spaghetti test. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. I'm
0: trying
2: to, this, I'm the marshmallow test. What's the spaghetti test? And so the sp-
1: <laughs> I think they. I think marshmallows are actually involved with the spaghetti test, but they, uh-huh. you get regular uncooked spaghetti from what I remember. And they they try to see who can stack at the highest. Ah. So they get groups of attorneys, they get like really like engineers and all these things, and the kindergarten class beats them. Yeah. And it's it it there there were two takeaways from what I remember. One was that, that they didn't care like a, about what mistakes they were gonna make, right? And then they were willing to try any idea, like oh yeah, let's. Then it was just kind of this organic yeah. thing. It's like wow, I just wow, that's cool. So. Right.
2: How much we inhibit ourselves because we are so afraid of what it looks like, sounds like, I mean, even in like corporate meetings or whatever, that people are censoring their own input based on will other people think it's stupid? Will it make the boss upset? And they actually limit their, you know, group IQ because of this self censoring that so instinctively happens to mitigate your sense of self.
1: This is, I just love this conversation. I hope it's interesting for everybody because I'm, I'm like in heaven right now uh, <laughs> learning from you about this. Uh, and there's, you know, there's great, uh, great stories about great teams who've worked together like a Saturday Night Live is something that people have covered because Lorne Michaels, the producer, would, would mm-hmm. have kind of a no bad ideas um, type mm-hmm. philosophy where everybody got to speak equally. And that mm-hmm. was a lot of the early success of Saturday Night Live. I want mm, to go. Great. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago um, on the expectations, because I think that that's very anxiety provoking, and then to have that kind of be perfect type thing that uh, people often uh, have, or mm-hmm. or kids having us having high expectations for our children. When mm-hmm. when do you uh, balance that with knowledge? Because I, I think that there's a, a balance there where hey we have this expectation for you or there there's there is this expectation but mm-hmm. you're either, you don't either don't have the motivation to, to do it or you don't have the knowledge to do it so how do you balance right. that
2: exactly so you know you there is a balance in it and i think the way i don't know what the answer is for every family and child and so on uh, but i think that the way that i think about it is you want to immerse your kids in different Um, you want the expectation that they are developing certain skills and learning certain things because they then don't otherwise they don't have the tools to be able to be creative or to express the self that you have to learn certain things to even have that as an option to be most able to to create something specific to you And so I would just, you know, my son is home from college right now because of the quarantine. And he's taking a class that he's kind of hated because he's an engineer and a mathematician. And this is a very conceptual course (laughs) where he's literally they're like analyzing self-portraits from four different aspects of self that are very conceptual. And he's like, oh, shoot me now. This is horrible. (laughs) But what's so interesting is he's really enjoyed the course and he's oh, learned a lot from it and he's become a better writer from it. And he's become more able to sort of think about these things that weren't his strengths. And so it's like, look, it's just an expectation of getting your degree. You have to do it, but he's better for it. And so, yes, you, you, you know, my kids in music, it's sort of like, well, no, you just have to do music. It's just a language. You have to learn that language. It will give you more of, you know, it'll open up possibilities for you. I'm not expecting anyone to be a musician. You know? And so I think there's gifts in that because it facilitates their ability to belong to themselves ultimately. When I think it's overkill is when it's like, you need to do this, have these grades look like this because it reinforces me. Or the other extreme is, hey, I don't want to control you. Therefore, I'm not going to give you any limits. Like I, I know somebody who came out of a very controlling family and she had her children literally writing and drawing on the walls at age 10 and 11 because she didn't want to restrict anyone. Oh, it, yeah. uh, but there was no structure. And right. so it was its own hell for her kids because there was no limits to operate within. So there's this tension between limits that actually facilitates creativity. You know, what? Uh, what is the constriction that actually allows you to lead a more meaningful life?
1: I love that love that listen everybody (laughs) the constriction you know you got to have that that counterbalance
2: but even like marriage because i do a lot of work around marriage and sexuality is a kind of constriction uh it's a chosen one ideally right you've chosen a kind of boundary and it facilitates growth now marriage can operate like a prison quite literally but it can also be a prison to put no limits on your relational realities because you never get to experience of intimacy and the depth of what you can create in a more contained relational reality.
1: Oh, that's, that's so good. Well, I'm, uh, I want to ask you one more question just along this expectations, uh, discussion sure. we've had, and then we can move on. Uh, great stuff. I'm, I've learned a ton. Um, as far as expectations yeah. go, um, we talked a little bit about interlocus of control at the beginning or, or in, in there. What would your suggestions be about gaining inner locus of control as like a, a professional or a, a father or a mother? What would be a couple of things that you'd recommend?
2: Well, I have maybe two ideas that come into my mind about that. One is, um, when something that I, there can be distortion in inner locus of control and it can have its own challenges, especially in a time when you feel like, Oh my goodness, there's so much i don't control like the economy or my the you know my um that there's a virus that could come and get you and there, you know there's sort of this awareness like oh my goodness i've actually been operating in a system that makes me feel a, high, a higher sense of control than i in fact have around what my reality is and so but uh, but i would still say that even though we have very limited control in reality, we still very much have control over ourselves. And so what I'm always pushing myself towards is the question of who do I want to be in this challenging situation? I may not like what my child is doing or a colleague is doing or, you know, or what's going on in the world, but who am I going to be in the face of this? And that's the part I always have control over and the more I do it in line with my integrity, the more self-respect I will have. And that's just true. I mean, when people betray what their own values are in order to get validation or because they blame other people for having control over them, they lose self-respect. They lose peace of mind because whenever you're trying to control things, you don't have control over other people, their approval of you, whatever it may be, you're it is a kind of self-betrayal and it is a trigger to the brain that you don't, you aren't in charge. Um, When you do take a hold of what you can control, which may just be how you respond to somebody's mean comment or something. It may be how I handle myself in the face of a lot of loss and uncertainty. Uh, It may be way less control than you want, but if you do that in a self in a way that you respect, that you think is respect worthy, even if much less powerful than you hope. Your, you have deeper peace of mind, and and that's kind of all we get
0: <laughs> right. in
2: this human experience.
1: No, we're I... all
2: very bene- We're all extremely poor. I mean, I've been in my free time reading watching more documentaries about, well, the pandemic of 1918 and oh, the Dust Bowl yeah. of the 1930s and so on. Yeah. Ken, Ken, Ken <laughs> Burns, Dust Bowl. Uh, yeah. Uplifting stuff. <laughs> but my point is, is that, boy, does it make you realize like, I am just extremely fortunate to lie in bed and not have dust blowing right, <laughs> right. covers to not think that my children could die from this Meaning that the current pandemic is not nearly as lethal to the younger population as the pandemic in 1918. My point is, there is so much in our recognition of what we don't control and yet how much it can bless our lives. But again, the focus is on who am I going to be in the face of this, yeah, including can, how appreciative am I going to be?
1: We can really, yeah, we can really change who we are through our thoughts and, and yes. take control of that. And I, I think that, so we, we talk a lot at Stillyard about um, the character tree of success mm. and then how guiding principles will, will always be what brings you success and balance. And mm. I, I think that that's your description of those things just now was one of the best I've ever heard as mm. far as it in any environment or setting that you're in. If you're, if you're being true to uh, what you believe, then that's mm-hmm. going to create less dissonance and you're going to be a lot more at peace and feel more yeah. balanced. And I, I think that, you know, that being said, uh, you talked earlier about borrowed framework. I, I kind of called that the measuring stick or that, that external mm-hmm. focus in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And what would you recommend people do to have a good um, borrowed framework or measuring stick? Because that that's not good for everybody in the environment that they grow up in. So how do you that's right. kind of have a, a good solidarity there?
2: Well, yeah. So first of all, I think you have to take a, a look at the framework you've inherited. And one of the answers to your previous question so that I didn't say yet was, I think one way to look at this issue of locus of control is around the, the feeling of resentment. Oh, wow. When we feel resentful, it's often, you know, a trigger that we are making choices that we put at someone else's feet. So, you know, I'm going and, uh, I'm going to make these choices because my mother wants me to become whatever it is, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I resent it because I feel controlled by that expectation. And so resentment's like the canary in the coal mine. It's a red flag. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. So it just invites you to take a look at it. What am I not taking responsibility for in this? And what do I want? And, you know, a lot of times we're ambivalent about what we want. And so instead of deal with our ambivalence, we, and by ambivalence, you know, you can go from I want it versus somebody wants it from me and you can vacillate between those two positions. But when we're ambivalent, it's easy to kind of keep making choices, but keep holding others responsible rather than deal with your ambivalence and say, what do I want? do I want to become a dentist whenever I had a client whose mother wanted all her children to be dentists? So, you know, do I want to, uh, do this or do I not want to do it? What do I think about that value? You have to claim it or, um, or what's the word disavow it. You know, you have to decide this is the lens I've been given. Do I agree with it or not? I was speaking with someone this morning who grew up in a framing that you had to work to earn your value. She's been incredibly productive in her life and in the quarantine that productivity has plummeted because oh my of all of those shifts which has put her into some crisis of self because herself has always been defined through production and,
1: and she it, it, resent
2: is, yeah go ahead is that
1: appropriate to
2: well i'll, no, let, I'll let you
1: finish i'm sorry yeah I, I, well i
2: think it's too distorted because it was coming out of an idea that in her own family you didn't really have value unless you were demonstrating that you would be who your parents, high demand parents wanted you to be. So in her family, some people sort of rose up and did it, others rebelled against it, but the ones who rose up and did what the parents wanted got the validation. And so she's, said, you know, I've accomplished a lot, but I'm constantly looking for this hit of validation and in a way never really asking myself the question of, what do I want? And who do I want to be? And I'm kind of living another ideal that has, you know, every accomplishment is just next onto the next one. There's not sort of a deepening sense of strength. And so it's this ivy drip of validation rather than creating something that is about you, that gives you a stronger sense of well-being, that allows you to enjoy a pause in what you may be creating or doing and find other benefit in it. Um, and so now I've lost track of my whole question. What was it? No, you, <laughs> hey, you, you
1: keep going down this road. This is phenomenal because I, I think that this is a, this is a challenge that we have where we, yes. we, uh, you know, my, uh, Tim, the, the par- other partner on this always references the Dunkin' Donuts commercial where it's, that's what we do. We get up and make the donuts and, you know, that's it's, right. we don't ever ask why we make the donuts or anything like that. We just get up and yes. do it. And, and then and so, you, yeah, you look back right. and you're like, whoa, what, like, what did all this mean? What did all the things I've been striving for uh, amount exactly. to? Exactly.
2: Exactly. And so, you know, I, and so I think for the client, it's taking a look at, you know, that there was a kind of extraction in her family because it reinforced the parents, the kids who were quote unquote successful or mm-hmm. high production And that her pursuit of that has been a self-betrayal. Now, that's not to say that if she's being true to herself, she would not be creating and doing a lot of the things that she does. But it wouldn't have the imbalance in it that's uh, more driven by anxiety and fear. It would be more determined around, this is what I want to create. This is in line with what I value. I'm not trying to demonstrate I have value through jumping through every hoop but a more deliberate decision around who I wanna be, what I wanna create in the world, and um, which might have to do with her career, but also how she is a parent, for example, or how she is a friend or how she is a person in her own skin. And you know, a lot of times when you talk about balance, the imbalance is coming out of a pursuit of validation rather than a more deliberate framing around who do I want to be?
1: That's so good. And, you know, I, I uh, talked to Dr. Finlayson Fife uh, about my father who committed suicide. I sent her you know, a talk that was given at his funeral and, and uh, he was the, he was that guy, right? Where it was whatever success he could, could garner in, you know, whether it was accolades from church or, you know, being kind of this millionaire businessman or into politics, Mm. he was always chasing that. My mom had always kind of, counterbalance him where she'd be like, Hey, I can, I can feel good about myself on the couch Mm -hmm. and he would have to go do these things to feel good in a sense. Yes. And then, you know what, what, we could get deep into that, but for whatever reason, that may have caused some real consternation for him where it's, Hey, what is this all accounting and meaning in the end?
2: Right. And it can, it can mean, you know, some people that are really highly in pursuit of that kind of external validation success, can look a lot stronger than they are because they're much more dependent on that external approval than is perhaps evident by the
0: success. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group and more. Thank you for being here.